I try to do as much performance pay. I don't care if a guy makes 12 bucks an hour. If you make $12 an hour for me, minimum wage, there's real issues there. And I don't want you to work here. But what I find is most owners say, well, I can't charge those prices that you charge. How do you sleep at night? And what I find is they're always running this hamster wheel of losing people all the time. They can't afford insurance. They can't afford a nice building. They can't drive new vehicles. And it literally is the biggest hamster wheel you'll ever see. It's amazing to think about that some of these companies, they're running so slim and they don't have hardly any admin. They're still taking phone calls. They're still running jobs. And they think the answer is to be cheaper. It's pay your people less, but charge your customers less. See, I think what's happening with all these price increases and this labor shortage is people are going, holy crap, I'm going to have to start charging more money. I'm going to actually have to learn how to sell stuff to clients. And that means not being the cheapest. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. All right, guys, this is the Q&A podcast for June 2021. Lots of good stuff coming to you. Feel free to ask questions. I am going to rock this out today, but I'm going to go through these. So few reminders, if you uh, haven't read the book, Home Service Millionaire, try to get it on Audible or homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash podcast. The HSM Home Service Millionaire uh, course that I put out is course.homeservicemillionaire.com. And if you haven't joined the free Facebook group yet, go to Facebook and look for the Home Service Expert group. Uh, really starting to build a lot of people to start getting a lot more content into there. So let's just go on to what's new in my world for a quick minute. I formed a board of directors about, well, they're actually, I got about six, six of my friends together. And basically, we've just been talking about a lot of different things. And basically, what we're working on is trying to figure out the best way to build this company to so that you could sell it one day. And uh, one of the things I realized is we got to strengthen up the finances. And I'm not going to go into too much detail, but really the top end of the finance, the top end of every department is a huge deal. So something you guys want to think about for sure is, you know, I got my buddy, Tom Howard. He's kind of helping me out, just trying to understand the finances. I think that's the biggest spot where homeowners fail. It's financing. Uh, what else is going on? You know, we're hiring. We've got 19 guys here training. They made a roadmap for A1 Resources. Uh, this is just a test, but Elisa did a great job with Travis. Follow the road to success with A1. Uh, lots of cool stuff in here about autographing. I'm just thinking about a ton of things, guys, right now. So million things on my mind. We just bought a house in Paradise Valley, and it looks like I'm going to have to uh, remodel the whole thing. I had the designer come in and she said, I think this looks like a complete remodel. So just walked the dog a little bit ago or I was playing with the dog. I should say it's too hot to walk him. It's 118 degrees, but he went outside. So let's just jump right into the questions. I think that's the way I want to start it right now. You talk a lot about A players, sometimes stealing A players. A players are usually working and not actively looking for a job on job boards. How do you get in front of them to start your recruiting process, social meetup, something else? Great question. Joy, let's talk about that. There's a thing called geofencing. Geofencing is when you build an invisible perimeter to do retargeting and pixeling. So you could actually serve up ads for your competitors. So you could build around, like any one of my competitors could do it around my building. You could also do it at the manufacturers. So it's called geofencing. It's a great way to get in front of them. You want to get in front of them with a bonus. You want to have them jump ship. You want to have an open house to have them do ride-alongs and learn about your company. A very discreet open house. You know, that you got to plan that out. There's got to have be able to do ride-alongs, talk to the peers that they're going to be working with. I think it's so important to be able to have the ability to work with their peers and ask them questions. And so part of the reason is why would they jump ship and work for you? I think that's super important is to understand why somebody would come work for you. So great one is a sign-on bonus, insurance, PTO, a new truck, but a lot of people feel more about that life 
work balance, you know, the personal and work balance. So we're really trying to figure out things that we could do in the company to get people more of that. So other than geofencing, the next thing you could do is you could actually, if you go on Facebook, you search for a company, you get a list of every single competitor. It'll actually tell you who works there on Facebook. A lot of them belong there and say they're an employee there. Same thing as LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great place, great resource. Uh, if you get the, their names, this sounds crazy, and I don't know if I'd go this far, but I've seen people that do it. They go, a lot of people, competition will put the first and last name of the people on their website. I don't do that because I don't want people poaching my guys. But, you know, another thing you could do is get to your, and it's called skip tracing. If you skip trace their name, you could actually figure out where they live and send them a letter. Uh, another great resource you could do is get with your manufacturers and see if you can put something in there. It's really tough. Most of the time they won't let you do it. But if you can get a hiring sign, make sure it looks good. Make sure you've got the reasons why someone would work there. I think that that's the biggest key is right now people have a lot of choices with unemployment rates being they're coming down, but no one's coming back to work. Uh, I think you guys know that it's tough right now to hire because people are getting incentivized to stay home. So social media works really, really, really well. You could find their interests. So if garage doors are an interest, then you could go after them on Facebook. Another great thing you can do is like i said hang out a little bit we actually just moved our vegas shop right next to the biggest distribution center i mean every time you go pick up a door from them you gotta see a1 and they trickle in and then you have free coffee free bagels in the morning you know you'd be surprised i wouldn't go as far to poach poach i mean you're not gonna park in your uh competitor's parking lot but there are some things you could do that way you know, I've seen, this is really shady, don't do this, but I've seen people call for service calls of other companies and offer the guys jobs. Not really into that one. But yeah, you're right. You want to steal guys. But here's the number one thing I could tell you. Number one by far, create an environment that everyone knows that A1 is awesome or your, your company's awesome. I think it's hard to do that because not everybody's going to be happy. But think about this. It's 118 degrees outside. So I guarantee you, I got guys that aren't happy. But overall, how do you create morale? Uh, I think really figuring out ways to do things outside of work. I want to do more of them. I want to have you know parties at the uh, pool, stuff like that. Anything you can do to get everybody together, that's a fun thing. But you got to keep it kind of PG. I don't recommend a ton of alcohol because that's when drama happens. But th there's a few ways to do that. I think that'll help you out quite a bit. Let's look at this question here from LJ Lindsay. Do you have to deal with non-competes when recruiting talent from competitors? Or is that something relative in home service industries? So there are non-competes. They're very, very hard to get them to stick. A good non-compete that sticks is when I buy out a company that owner is not able to work anymore. He signs a non-compete for three to five years. But the non-competes with the technicians are really hard unless you give them the tools and the truck and you teach them from scratch. It's hard to enforce in most states. Uh, most judges, if it's their livelihood, they're able to go to another company. And here's the thing, you can't squeeze blood out of a turnip and something like that, they say, uh, meaning that if you sue them, are you really gonna win? Is it really worth it? I recommend creating an opportunity where it's really, really hard to leave. And, you know, the more I look out there right now in my industry, people are offering sign-on bonuses, but they're not offering really great money. I think one of the biggest problems I see, and you guys might enjoy this conversation, is a lot of business owners, quite frankly, pay their people like shit. They literally pay their people $15 an hour consistently across the board. Skilled technicians... I've seen 2025, that's barely $1,000 with inflation. It's hard. You know, I try to do as much performance pay. I don't care if a guy makes 12 bucks an hour. If you make $12 an hour for me, minimum wage, there's real issues there. And I don't want you to work here. But what I find is most owners say, well, I can't charge those prices that you charge. How do you sleep at night? And what I find is they're always running this hamster wheel of losing people all the time. They can't afford insurance. They can't afford a nice building. They can't drive new vehicles. 
And it literally is the biggest hamster wheel you'll ever see. It's amazing to think about that some of these companies, they're running so slim and they don't have hardly any admin. They're still taking phone calls. They're still running jobs. And they think the answer is to be cheaper. It's pay your people less, but charge your customers less. See, I think what's happening with all these price increases and this labor shortage is people are going, holy crap, I'm going to have to start charging more money. I'm going to actually have to learn how to sell stuff to clients. And that means not being the cheapest. You know, I, I love how guys on these boards, these Facebook boards, they go on and on about you guys are a ripoff. The customer only needed this or that. Let me just tell you what the customer needs, whatever the hell they want. The customer gets what they want. You don't decide. I'm so done with guys on Facebook going, the customer didn't need that. The customer doesn't need a house. They don't need a new car. They don't need an opener. The customer doesn't need anything. They get what they want. They tell you what you want. Now, if it were my house, I'm going to get an insulated garage door. I'm not going to fix a piece of shit, not insulated door. I'm just, I go off on here because you got all these workers and most of them are workers. Even the owners are workers. They're still in the field. And then they wonder, they go, we're always busy. I'm like, of course you are because you're running all the jobs and you're cheap and you can't afford to hire an employee. You can't afford workman's comp. You're always busy. I would be busy too. I, I know what that's like, but you don't have a freaking company. You don't own a company. You own a job. So don't brag about being cheap. Everybody out there, do me a favor. Remember, there's three things. You can be fast on the customer's timeline. You could be really great quality. You could have trademarks on your quality. You could have the best schooling, the best tools, the best trucks to get there when they want and do a quality job that's going to last a long time. And then you could be cheap. You could pick two out of the three. You can't be all three. You can't be the best price on their timeline perfectly and put the best quality parts. Impossible to do all three. Okay? That's so, so important. You can't do all three. So think about that mechanic. Man, that mechanic's such a good mechanic. He gives us such a good deal. What do you think about that mechanic? I have one in Milwaukee. He's four months out. People are waiting forever and ever to get him to do the work. So if he raises his prices a ton, he could double his prices. Yeah, he's going to lose some business, but he's going to do half the work for more than double the amount of money. And he's going to be able to spend time with his family because he does a quality job. Every time I go for a price, every time I buy a price, I've been burned. I can't tell you guys enough how many times I've gone the best price, and it never, ever does well. What is a workaround on workers' comp? Cody, let's go ahead and talk about workman's comp. There's what's called an EMOD score. And what you want to do on workman's comp, here's my best advice. Here's my workaround. You get a manual. And you get a really nice manual put together. And every single employee has a standard operating procedure that happens when they are injured. Let's say you're uh, a grinder. This is a common one. They're grinding and a speck goes in their eye. What you want to find out is if they could go to the urgent care and you could pay for that bill. So our workman's comp works with us really, really hard to pay for anything under $1,000 because it doesn't hit workman's comp. Now, there's certain rules and regulations. We don't want to go against minor injuries, heat exhaustion, stuff like that. You can't pay for like a major surgery outside of workman's comp. You got to create a safe environment. You got to do driver safety trainings. You got to, we give guys, now we pay for their gloves and they got a little clip that goes onto them. Two things, workman's comp, three things, but two big ones. The big ones is your eyes and your fingers. You get guys to wear gloves, you train them, you train them, you train them, you train them to wear gloves. You show them the nasty pictures. Eyes are just, it's pretty simple. Just wear it. You look good doing it. The customer thinks you're official. But realistically, I mean, guys can lose their eyesight. I've seen it too many times. You never think it's going to happen to you. And then your feet, I recommend getting some type of strong, still-toed boots. Something that's going to protect your feet. You do those three things and you wear pants most of the time, which is hard to do in 118 degrees. That's what I would do. Well, another thing you could do with workman's comp, uh, sometimes they'll put you into like, a, what is it called? ADP is one of the payroll companies that some of these bigger companies will let you rent your employees from you. So they'll actually rent them back to you and then they'll, they're able to get workman's comp way cheaper because they buy it in a group. So there's another way, but workman's comp, it's important that you're teaching safety. It's important. So we put a gym in the, the office that helps things like that. Every time 
the cameras in the uh, vehicles help. The fact that you're watching that stuff makes a big difference. See, we've got this thing called Lytics. It's a dual camera. You can hear everything. That costs money. <laughs> it's so funny. People go, what are you, the prices you charge, that they ask me, let me just tell you this. If I fix your garage door, it's fixed forever. That's not every two years I'm coming out there, but they don't understand the small businesses, how much it costs to have software that runs in the vans. They have all these different software. We got a new recruiting software my buddy Jody's helping us with. Lots and lots and lots of different softwares, probably 20. We just signed out of this other software, 18 grand a year to organize all of our media. That's just videos, pictures, because we're in a lot of states. You might say, holy crap, that's ridiculous. You know, we're in 17 states, so you do the math. You're going to have to pay for things you didn't know. And I'll tell you this, you got to build a good, good team, especially at the top. You got to have a team that's going to do everything and go through. And, and you know, my biggest thing that I want to get back to is I'm obsessed with marketing and sales. I think you'll see when the company is growing the furthest and fastest, I'm doing marketing and sales. I've got a lot of ideas and some of them aren't good, believe it or not. Some of my ideas, the effort is not worth the energy and it takes me some time to realize that. But most of my ideas as a visionary, if they're implemented and integrated properly, they do well. Let me read another question here. Layman Bowling. One thing I would like to do is quicken the payroll every pay period. I've heard you say that you guys will get all your payroll done within an hour or two each pay period. So what can I do to improve the process of my business to make it quicker for us and our employees? So I've got several guys here that are absolute phenomenal at Excel. Uh, they can run circles around me. They can build pivot tables. They understand what I would try to do is build a payroll system, a bonus system that is an algorithm that you could run everything in through your CRM and it automatically quantify everything. Then you need what's called a data accuracy team. They're going to check to make sure the stickers were done, the pre-pictures were done, there was a measurement proper. I think you should always have a data accuracy team. So I write down on a whiteboard how I'm going to get the payroll bonus structure aligned perfectly. And then I use software to do the majority of it and just make sure there's eyeballs verifying. And then what Adam does is he looks for outliers. He knows exactly where to look at where the guys will try to cheat the system. So... Software is designed, if you listen to Ara, we did a podcast years ago, and he said, I just wish when people, we get 20 to 30 people in a room when we want to come out with a new feature. These guys are all $100 million plus producers, right? We come up with ways to do things that fits the masses. It's the best practices. And then you get this one-off company that says, we do it different. And of course, we all do it different. But they say, you know, we give a guy five bucks if he gets a Google review, 10 bucks for Yelp. We give a guy, if he drives, he gets a nickel, uh, perfect driving score that day. And then if he's able to get a video testimonial and a yard sign, and then, you know, our, our stuff is not the easiest, but it's easy to, to quantify because of our data accuracy team. It's just when you got to have eyeballs is when it's not duplicatable. So I would redo the system in a way that you could have a data accuracy team because that's my biggest problem, I think, with, with the, the history of the company, that I realized that every decision I make is off the Bank account, what's in there? What are our accounts receivable? What are our financials? What are our KPIs? And if they're not accurate, you're screwed. You know, when you get comfortable living in your accounting software, and I mean truly comfortable, you're going to start asking questions like, what are these expenses? How much am I spending on entertainment? Where could I save money? If you get a chance, read the book by Michael McCallowitz called Profit First. Megan likes, uh, is a big fan of that. She's absolutely phenomenal when it comes to getting your books together. Vincent Johnson, how do you handle a customer with buyer's remorse? We sold the customer a set of high cycle springs and a set of nylon rollers. The total price was $5.55. We gave him options and he chose the better springs. After he finished, he went to Amazon and said the springs should only cost $50. This is the first time in 34 years of business that this has happened. He claims that another company offered him a better quote. I gave him a $100 rebate and told him that these springs special are special cut. They're not a stock item. How should you suggest I handle this? Well, one of the things I tell all my employees when they're out in the uh, garage, and this is so important, you got to brag about the company. They got to know that A1 is the best and the only solution. How do you do that? We talk about our trademark on Max Life, that we do custom high cycle 
The average industry cycle is 10,000. We do 80,000. What does that mean? If you pay $300 for a 10,000 cycle, theoretically, you should be paying 2,400 for an 80,000 cycle. We make sure they understand. So we build rapport with them. Then we educate them. And then we talk about, hey, look, you show up in this new van. It's a clean van. We show them the van, the mission, vision, core values. We explain to them the, the really vigorous process we go through of training. Now, you know, my answer to that is simple. Typically, when somebody says that, I say, well, what do you do for, for a living, sir? And no matter what they do, I don't care what it is. If they say they're a teacher, how would you like it? You know, a lot of people have tenure now, the professors. Sometimes they make six figures and then they make a lot of money that they get to their research. But if, how would you like it if it was just the cheapest? But what I love to tell you, sir, is we're going to be around for a long time. So here's one thing, too, is your core message, your advertising message needs to be known as the best, the most expensive. The best is usually the most pricey. Look, Anderson's Renewal, for example, I watched a commercial from them earlier. Guess what? They're like three times any other glass company, but they custom make them to fit the size opening. They've got quick release brackets. They, they do a really good job. I mean, they're known. People pay triple the price of an average window company. Think about this. Do you ever take your car to the dealer or do you go to the shop on the block that they can barely speak English? The thing is, you know you're going to pay more at the dealership. You know if you go to Amco Transmissions, you're paying more for your transmission. The fact is people love a warranty. They love that you're going to be in business. Now, I think the problem with that person is, of course, I can go to the grocery store and buy some cheese and some flour and make a pizza for about a buck, literally under a buck to make a pizza. But when you go to Pizza Hut or Hungry Howie's or wherever you go for pizza, you're going to pay $20 for that large pizza, but you wanted it delivered. You wanted me to show up to your house, use my tools, our insurance, our gas. You know what? I've got a great video that kind of explains this, but you've got a marketing team. You've got an accounting team. You've got a special unit team to do the installs. I mean, what I try to do is say, I just wish we functioned at more than 15%. You want us to make 15%, right? So we stay in business so we can honor your warranty. Unfortunately, after we pay for everything, 15%, we got to have air conditioning in the building, right? It's 120 degrees outside. So I think you don't want to get defensive. You got to let him vent and you got to say, sir, we did the work. Of course, you're not going to get the same price on Amazon. That No one's getting the same price. You can buy the drywall. Somebody's got to install it. Someone's got to show up, diagnose it, figure out what's wrong. Make sure it's going to work great with your opener. Make sure the door is balanced. There's an old story. It's about um, this flooring company. There was a million flooring companies. This guy had this bad, 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 bad noise in his floor. It was a squeaky floor, and it made a few different squeaks. And the guy called out 20 companies, and, and no one could figure it out. And then all of a sudden, this old man who's been doing it forever, this guy is just a long time, been doing it a long, long, long time. He goes in, and the guy shows him everything, what is creaking. The guy grabs his drill three screws and a bottle of glue after five minutes, hits the screws in the right spots, puts the glue down in the right area, the squeaks are done. You know, that'll be $1,000. The owner said, what do you mean $1,000? You were here for five minutes. He said, you're not paying for the five minutes. You're paying for the 20 years that it took me to get educated on where to put those screws and glue in the right spot. So, you know, customers and clients need to realize that. If you see the bills from my lawyers, you would understand that they spend a long time getting educated so they could do what they do. You know, the grocery store, the price are going up. Wood's at $50 now. I mean, look, it's just, it's crazy. Right now there's a spring shortage. So let's see here. Dennis Lopiccolo. Which is better use of advertising dollars? Google Ads or Google LSA? Should we run both or should we cut back on one or the other? LSA ads are cheaper. LSA ads include the reviews. LSA ads are better, in my opinion, for the bang for the buck. They're newer. They make more sense right now. Max out your LSA ads before you're running PPC. Most of the time, you can't get enough volume with both without PPC. One thing you never want to turn off if you spend money on marketing and, and really branding is you always, always got to buy your own keywords on pay-per-click because I could run an ad on pay-per-click that sounds similar to a competitor and you might think it's them and they're getting your business for all your branding. So 
always pay for your own keywords on pay-per-click and go LSA ads, but also make sure that your GMB is set up. Make sure you got it 100% open hours. Make sure you're asking customers for good reviews. Make sure you're putting content in there every day on your Google page. Make sure that you get all your citation sites done, especially Yelp. Make sure if there's areas you could add a video, add a video. There's a thing called Local Viking. I recommend it. It shows you where you rank based on your GMB. I love the GMB because Google doesn't charge for that, but they can take it down at any time. So what we did with our GMBs is we actually got real GMBs and we got all the bills in a folder. Every single bill gets put in a folder for that one. We've got videos that we go around. We literally have three different bills. We've got everything there. And the whole point of that is because Google can turn it off. They've done it. Stupid shit happens. They turn stuff off when they feel like it. And then we got to re-verify, but all the reviews come back. I recommend being super organized about your GMB. One of the other things that I recommend that actually makes a lot of money is search for, there's a lot of doors and, and, and openers out there and, and brands that have gone out of business and companies that have gone out of business. I recommend finding those out because there's stickers still there and there's stickers on the door and there's manufacturer's names on them and try to do your PPC campaign for those because there's little to no competitors. They're cheaper and it won't make you a ton of phone calls. You get a couple a week. But if you do it with 10 different manufacturers, that's 20 calls a week and you're paying a tenth of the price. Jose Gamez. I would love for him to elaborate on the conversation we had with Ryan Lucia about writing his 15-word paper and turning that into social media content. How many posts would he get out of that? How many of those 15 reports would he make a year? What would be the breakdown of videos, articles, coupons that would generate out of the bundle? So what we're really trying to do is come up with content that either gets a ton of eyeballs and links built into it or that's already searched all over the internet. Like the biggest things you want to go after when you search for something and there's a bunch of questions, right? They're, they're FAQ questions on Google. Some of them you can find on Angelus or Home Advisor. I recommend getting your website so it ranks like mine. ahrefs.com does a backlink checker. And then I can literally find the best articles that people are asking the most questions and rewrite them and make them badass. Make sure there's pictures, videos, uh, infographics, tons of different people editing. I'm talking about pros that are actually commenting on there. And then some other Q&As underneath it. And then that article will immediately pop up to the top. Now, here's the greatest thing is there's no PPC. There's no LSA. There's no GMB. They're strictly organic. So figure out the articles that rank that you don't see all the GMB stuff coming up. They're more information driven. But if you could get an extra couple thousand visitors a day that are curious about information, guess what? A lot of those turn into customers, especially when you got a big imprint. So organic is not a great game if you're only in one city. You can still make some good money. So what I do is they ask you answer. Marcus Sheridan wrote an amazing book. It's pretty easy, right? You get a virtual assistant or someone that's great at your office. They do a lot of research on a topic that you, you first, you want to make a couple hundred articles, get the titles. There's SCM Rush, there's uh, Moz, there's all these different tools that basically tell you what articles, what keywords. You got to do your research on what articles. Then you have somebody go through and spend an hour figuring stuff out, learning about data, finding the FAQs. Then you just study that stuff for about 20 minutes. And you make an interesting story. It might remind you of something when you were in the garage. I don't know. But what you want to do is have a compelling interview where you're actually on a Zoom call or in front of a truck or a spring or whatever you want to be in. And you want to do a long conversation about it where you're going through asking questions, diving deeper into questions. Then all that gets transposed. We've got a tool that simply makes everything we do right now, this stuff right now, is going to be transposed and written in an essay form or MLA format. And then what's going to happen is we're going to add this video to it. And then they're going to add some pictures and maybe another couple of questions and answer them for them. And just make sure everything's edited properly. It's a great, fast way to accomplish a lot of content. How many of those posts would he get out of it? So there's a thing called repurposing content. You know, we, we chose to get this really advanced thing that transposes and syndicates and finds everything and literally has 20 different you can search for it with synonyms and it, it just goes into it and it pulls up everything that says 
torsion springs or whatever, all in our content portal. And we could repurpose it. We could edit it all day. We could combine videos. And what we're trying to do is be number one on every single thing, national company, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I, th- I think we're doing probably going to do some stuff with Snapchat. We're going to do some stuff with House. We're going to do some stuff with TikTok. I want to be everywhere. I want to have cool, fast videos that show doors getting uninstalled and installed and the sun coming up. We've got these things we're getting for all the guys. It's a three-legged thing. It flies out. You just pull these out and uh, you can put your phone on there. Then you can have the whole thing recorded with your iPhone and then I'll pay them to turn it in. And You edit it all up and uh, content, 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 content. And then what I'm going to do is I end up having a content contest with my employees and get them to do testimonials. I mean, I want a thousand testimonials a year. I'm talking every single year, new great things. I'm going to be interviewing the top designers in the country. I'm going to get the best woodworker to help me build a door. He'll help me pick the supplies and I'll make it a signature series. These are the kind of things that's innovative that no one else is thinking about, but it's great reading. It's great to learn about. People enjoy it. And that builds your website as the strongest authority site. I'm also building a simulator and I'm going to give the simulator to every single custom builder, every realtor, every inspector. The simulator is going to come that it's when they click on my page, they're going to put it on their site and it's going to click into their page on my site. It's a widget. So that's going to give me a hundred thousand links. It's almost done. It's going to be, took me a while to figure it out, but it's going to be the baddest ass thing that's ever been done for as far as making a website rank. It's going to jump up to Home Depot's rankings. What are the next two Audible books you should download? That's a great question, and I've got some good ones right now. Barbarians at the Door, I heard, is a really, really good book. I haven't got to it yet. I'm reading right now The Closer's Survival Guide by Grant Cardone. Uh, A good book that I've read a a dozen times that I downloaded again is it's called Brainfluence. 100 Ways to Persuade and Convince Consumers with Neuromarketing. He talks about simple things like people love babies. So putting a baby in the ad, I don't know why it works, but it works. Lots of cool stuff with that. I got another book on storytelling. There's so many books. This is uh, a book my buddy just bought for me called Hard Knocks by Michael uh, Derryberry. But this book... I just bought five of them, sending out to my buddies. It's called The Coaching Effect. If you haven't read that, The Coaching Effect was a game changer for me. So that's what I recommend. So there's a uh, Marcus Sheridan podcast was great. Someone just commented on that. Great information. You're a great marketer. Thank you. Let's listen to uh, Jeremy Beatty. I think it's B-A-T-E-Y. At what point do you recommend a startup invest into an actual brick and mortar building versus trying to work out of your garage or home? Uh, That's a great question. I think with nowadays, you know, number one, depending on your family life, it's good to just have a place to go to work. It's good to just be able to just sit in front of a computer and just not have any interruptions if you're a small company where you might not have the kids or or the wife or the husband, whatever. You know, I, I love having a place to work. It could be small. It could be really small. And it's nice to have a place to have a real Google My Business place. It's, it's building the company on a solid foundation. I do believe that once you cross a million dollars, you absolutely should have one. You should have a showroom. You should have a place that's great to have customers and invite them in. Have them come over a cup of coffee. Say, listen, I want to show you a couple uh, houses that I've done. I've got a little, some screens that I'm going to show you some stuff. Come on in. It's not a big office. We're proud of it though. And uh, keep it immaculate. And just the fact is, if I, it's just not a real business unless it has a brick and mortar. I don't think you need to buy the building. I recommend trying to get the money to buy the building within the second year because you'll make a lot of money on that. I learned that lesson. Does the physical location of the building matter so much as it's in the service area? Example, a nice size building with space, parking, warehouse, but it's on a street with essentially no traffic. Here's what I would tell you about your building. I'd worry more about getting it into the right neighborhood because of the GMB. I don't necessarily care. I've got a lot of frontage. There's thousands, probably tens of thousands of cars that go by. But for what I go for in a lot of new markets, I don't get a lot of traffic. I just get it in a commercial area 
I'm not looking for anything great. I'm looking for something that's in a great area that around there are the houses that I want to service. Picking a physical location, just make sure you're picking in the most affluent area where you're going to get the most amount of business. So to do that, you want to look at local Viking, number one. Number two, you want to look for that city, garage door repair or whatever it is, and put that city in. And if you've got tons and tons of competition, a little cheat, is find a city that might be number three or four, what you were thinking, where there's only one company. It might be a great city that has, has hardly any commercial area. It's almost all residential, but you could find the one nook and cranny commercial spot because there's no other GMBs there. So you're going to rank for the entire city number one automatically. And then as you, if you get reviews there and your Yelp pops up and everything else, you're killing it. So that's a little hack that I use. Um, telling you guys all my secrets, man. Dennis Lopiccolo, another question. How does a one-truck business owner know when it's time to add another truck? In general, what criteria needs to be tracked to be certain the business will support expansion? Whew, this is a tough one. This is really, really, really tough, Dennis. I tell you what, getting out of the truck is the hardest thing you're ever going to do. You got to find guys that know how to generate revenue. And you got to have a constant flow of jobs. You can't take the vacations you used to take. You can't just disappear for weeks at a time. You're putting in sweat equity. The business is small. I'm just telling you, it's front-loaded, but the, the, the end result is it's amazing. So you got to think about creating a cool spot, getting to know them really, really well, making sure they could outperform you, meaning they better know how to sell. They better know everything. You do not want an apprentice turning into your first tech that doesn't know anything because you're going to go out there and have to fix their crap all the time. And then you're going to say, what was the use of this? I'm paying this guy 20 bucks an hour or whatever. I pay him 800 bucks. I might as well just do it myself. And then you get impatient. And then you go right back to the beginning, right? And the, the hardest part to understand this is you want to pay this person more. You want to find the top freaking hire that any business like me, 50 million, 100 million, you want to find somebody that I would hire, but better. Because this is your first hire. This is the everything. What I would say is work your butt off. Make sure you got great marketing. Make sure you got great presence. Make sure that your brand is recognized. First and foremost, build up your online reviews. Get it all cohesive. That's what I'd say first. And then I turn on a couple of mailers. Small mailers, try to be in a smaller area. You don't want to waste when you got one or two employees. You want to think about density. You want to focus on a small market and you want very little windshield time. You want to own that clientele. You want to hit them all the time. What they say with realtors is pick a freaking suburb, pick a little community and hit that 20 times a year versus hitting everybody else twice a year. So you want to own the small area that's got the perfect customer. And you might think the customers, the perfect customers are the rich ones. No, 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 no. Please understand the rich customers, they have property managers that handle everything for them. You do not want the rich customers until you get big enough that you get them ancillary. You charge good money for them, but you want the dual income, $120,000 HOA household that they can spend good money, but you're not going to break the bank. They don't have uh, variable speed HVAC units. They just, they'll spend the money. They've got a family. They've got a three bedroom, two bath, and you want to own that neighborhood. You want to own that city. and. That's the best thing I would advise. I think a lot of people go out and they say, I'm just going to try some radio. I'm going to do a little bit of Alpac, do a little bit of TV. I'll do a billboard. And then here's the death trap is when they go, <laughs> their buddy calls over. They go, oh, cool. Everybody's seeing my billboard. So now it's like this fame thing. Like, oh, my God, you made it. Who would have thought out of high school? I see your billboard. And then you get contagious, the shit that doesn't work. You're like, you love it. You're like, oh, my God, I finally made it. Everybody recognizes me. Who cares? I mean, realistically, make a ton of money. I mean, that's what you want to do. Invest it. And then, then you can have fun with your high school buddies. You know, I just think it's really, really, really important to figure out how to be good in a dense market, how to get the right branding, how to get referral business, how to get testimonials, how to use organic growth with a combination of grassroots uh, guerrilla marketing. And that's take time with clients and make sure they're leaving you a Facebook 
a Nextdoor, a Google, a Yelp, a Yard Sign. They're giving you their HOA manager and you're setting an appointment. That's what you should be doing. You should be monitoring that, not getting dirty in the truck anymore, building the business. And it's so hard because you don't want to pay the money. So you got to raise your prices, get a couple hundred thousand dollar nest egg, and then make sure you got a guy that's producing a ton of money for you. So when you get out of the business, you're going, holy crap, this guy's a lion. He's got a great conversion rate, great average ticket. Customers love him. He drives great. Don't go cheap on your first employee. That's just the precedent for everything. Pretty passionate about that. Joy Harris, I love your hub and spoke model for acquiring companies. Can you elaborate? How do you determine or get suppliers to tell you who has a good customer base? What scorecard do you use? Well, there's a thing called a diligence period, a quality of earnings. So you're going to be able to see the customer base. Really, you should be able to get from their CRM. If you go in, you offer them money, you're going to have to look at everything. I mean, a lot of times people do background checks to all the... They do research to see, does anybody have any other LLCs in their name? They look at everything. They'll go look at all your managers. They'll make sure there's no side business going on. Look, the quality of earnings, the bill, the diligence period, you're going to be able to see how many calls they have a day, what their average tickets are, how long their employees have worked there. You can do background checks to their employees. This is a lot of stuff that you need to understand when you go to sell your business. You know, a lot of people want to try to sell their business. And they didn't plan on any of this stuff. So they're going to get way less money than they should be getting because they didn't prepare for what's expected of them in the business. So what I can tell you guys is learn what they ask for when you sell your business. Listen, there will be a time that I bring on an equity partner and I'm going to freaking find out who it's going to be in the next year. I'm going to spend two years kicking ass and I'm going to go like this with a bow. Boom. Here's everything you need. And they're going to wire me a big ass check. And then I'm still going to own half the company, but they're going to be able to go out so I don't have to take on a ton of debt. I'm talking about hundreds of millions. I have a high risk tolerance, but the next level after that will be a SPAC. It's a special purpose IPO. And you want to have people that are experienced to help you do something like that. So, you know, I think finding a great company with a great customer base, what I'd rather find, this is the perfect dream for me. Give me a company where each guy is running seven jobs a day. They got 10 guys. They can't get enough help. They hate answering the phone. They don't work nights or weekends. They got five online reviews. They don't use a CRM. That, to me, is a dream. It's a fantasy. Because I'm going to go in there and give each guy three jobs a day. I'm going to hire 10 more guys. I'm going to put them through A1 training. I'm going to get nicer trucks, unify their brand, add some of my A1 trucks, add a second GMB with A1. Then I'm going to go out and call every single customer, reactivate their old list, all their customers that have forgotten about them, reactivate it by reaching out through email and mailers and say, it's time to get your graduate checked up on. We were out here this time. Think about what you could do with that. They might be doing $400,000 EBITDA and I'm going to go in and quadruple that the first week. Now it's going to take three months to get that done. If you read the book by Adam Coffey called the private equity playbook, he's coming out with another book. I highly recommend you guys read it. You know, I'm having a graduate show the first week of November I haven't released the details, but it's about three things, three things that every company needs to understand. And this is what the whole show is going to be about. Number one, financial literacy. Learn how to read a balance sheet and an income statement. Learn how to make decisions based on facts. Learn how to build a chart of accounts that makes sense. Learn how to identify the areas that you need to be concerned about and get them fixed. And your life will be better. I promise you. Number two, KPIs, understanding how to run a business when you're not there, when you're out of town, when you're at home. Learning what sets off a buzzer in your mind based on of just a dashboard. We're going to talk about running a business that you own, but not be in the business, work on it, and basically have freedom to go on long vacations for three weeks to Honolulu. That's what I want to be able to give this industry, garage doors. Number three. Very big one. Learn how succession planning works. I'm going to have people that sell businesses for a living, the best, and learn how they come up with a multiplier of EBITDA. Learn what an ad back is. Learn how to build value of your business. Learn how real buyers, not just Tommy Mello, but the real top players in the game structure and want businesses to buy. 
What they want is they want something that no one else has. They want a platform company. They want to know that you've got the system dialed in and they can take the platform and build underneath it and instantly make a shit ton of money. <laughs> it's a fun topic for me. So what I would say is read as many books as you can on succession planning. Understand what people are looking for. They buy the story. They buy the founder, the owner. They buy the, the executive team. And then they're going to do kind of an internal net promoter score. If you're big enough, they do a net promoter score. And they find out what your look up net promoter score. You guys should learn what a net promoter score is today so you understand that big companies, when they buy you, will probably do this with your customers. Sometimes they'll do a double-blind survey, but they'll probably do an internal survey to find out if your company really is what you say it is. Now, I don't want to buy a company that's right on the brink of collapsing because everybody hates it and they're ready to quit. I think when A1 buys a business, we give them better insurance, we give them all raises, I think it goes pretty well. Let's see here. Hey, Tommy, I own a radon business trying to expand. Two employees offer free testing on Facebook for a few thousand people, no takers, mailers, 4,000 people, no takers. What would be the next form of marketing? When I was younger, and I was actually more of a guerrilla marketer, first thing you got to do, you got to ask yourself, where do my customers hang out and live? Where are they at all day? What's their pastimes? There's a reason why there's so many sponsorships at the golf course, because they know their clientele is there. So I would go back to the old school, put my sleeves up, and go to guerrilla marketing. I'd go to B&I groups. I'd find out who is my potential customers that's going to be using me every week. Why would a real estate agent use me every week? Well, let's see if she sells a house and I need to reprogram all the keypads and openers and then program all the new cars. What about a pest control company? How could they use me every week? Well, they're spraying new houses all the time. Where's the, no, the number one entryway to the bugs? It's in the bottom of the garage. So why not team up with them? Why not painters? Think about this. Why would a painter paint an old piece of crap that's not insulated in 120 degree weather with a crack in it? Why not they just replace it and I'll give them some money on it? So what I would do is get, get out there, start doing guerrilla marketing, meeting, shaking hands, building the base to where you can afford marketing because it's not 4,000 people. I hit roughly 700,000 zones of 10,000. So 700 times 10,000 is like, yeah, that's, I hit 7 million households in Valpac a month. And 4,000 is not, it's just, you're not at a number that makes sense to really see. The bigger this, there's 1% of the people that you, you marketed to that need your service. Most of them didn't open the mailer. So that's what I would say on that. What state will you not put a location in? California question mark. That's from Mitch Shipman. I'm coming around from California. When everybody's leaving, it's probably the best time to go there. When everybody's going there, it's the best time to leave. I think there's still a ton of money there. There's certain laws. There's certain things you need to make sure you're crossing your T's and down your I's. But uh, I don't see a reason why I wouldn't have a location everywhere that I go into. I'll tell you what. When the laws make sense for businesses to grow and not get sued constantly, you know, let me give you an example. Walgreens left San Francisco because they allow people to come steal and they won't press charges. So it's impossible to make money there. So those laws detract business owners and inevitably it'll be a really bad area. Unfortunately, there is a basic theory of politics that applies to business. As you tax me more, rather than me being a philanthropist and putting it back in the community, like all the charity work we do. And it goes through their little toll booth called the government with the Senate and the House and everybody else. It makes it harder for small business. And believe it or not, I'm still a small business. So I don't mind paying taxes. In, in fact, I'm in favor of a flat tax. I'm not going to go too political here, but I'm going to go into every state. Uh, you just got to be careful. You got to understand unions are tough. I believe unions exist for a reason, and I'm not anti-union. I just, there's certain things that I think unions are, are more polluted in a lot of ways in Chicago, New York, than even the government. And look, this is neither Republican nor Democrat. I think the government, you know, whether you're the left wing or the right wing, you're still part of the plane. <laughs> if I'm new to Tommy podcast and book and have customers and five to nine employees, what is step one to improve? Would it be CRM or operations manual like Al Levy suggests? Ah, that's a tough question. I don't think they're exclusive of one another. I think the manuals are super important. 
but to not have a system to not know my KPIs, uh, I'd start both of them at the same time, man. I begin to look for a great CRM right away. That's what runs the business for us. I mean, it's not possible for me to make accurate decisions without accounting and finances. So you need a financial system, you need a CRM. And there's four KPIs I tell you guys about. What does it cost me to acquire a customer on each marketing source? What's the conversion rate? What's the average ticket? And what is your booking rate? If you don't know those, run. Run as fast as you could. And make sure you know it individually from each technician, each installer, and each CSR. And then, you know, manuals are are what changed the game for me, but also having a plan. I mean, Al talks about his five big things and what to work on and staying organized in his naming conventions. There's not just one thing. Oh, Megan's on here. Awesome. We were going to come to California, Megan. I'm going to just, I'm going to learn from you. You know, Megan got sued twice, but one both times because she's very, very organized and she understands what she's doing. So, you know, I'd start with both of those things. And, you know, what I would do, Cody, is I'd come visit. You know, I always tell you guys, I tell you to take the time to come visit and see what you don't have, see what you have. And every time someone comes here, I learn something. There's always a lot of good stuff that I get out of it when someone comes here. We'll whiteboard, we'll look at stuff. You know, and I'm not as excited to hear, woohoo, Tommy, great job. I'm more excited to say, hey, have you ever thought about this? I think the first time Al Levy walked in, he gave me a list of 18,000 things to do, including go to one color shirt. He's, he's really pissed off. <laughs> he's like, why are you guys all wearing different colors? I was like, well, we have it's got the logo on it. Logo. And he goes, uh, yeah, well, it looks like shit. You, you guys don't stand out. You guys don't look uniform. All right. Dave Lewis, can you share what your day looks like and how you structure your time as a leader of an industry leading in the home service business? What data and things do you do religiously check on? You know, I'm not like, I'm not going to tell you get up at 4 a.m. and start out with a thousand push-ups. It's just not the case. I got a good work-life balance because my work is life, basically. Yesterday, I went to San Diego, had the time of my life, but I was there for a work trip. I just have fun. I got to tell you, what do I do? I start out the day with my 7.30 call. Usually, I brush my teeth and gotten out of bed and stretched. I work out. The trainer comes to me and works, works out here. The one thing I can tell you that everything has a time on my schedule and it is packed. I've got a system where Bree prints out all my emails. She marks the important ones, gets back to as many as she could by herself. And then she schedules me meetings and she gives me a list of 20 emails. I know I'm killing trees, but we break it down and I can do quick responses. I could do 10 times more than most people because of the way that I structure my calendar, my email, and the way I communicate. If I've got something I want to say and I don't feel like making a phone call, I'll shoot a quick video on Zoom and share it. If it's just too complicated and too long to write a long email. There's other people that write these emails that take forever. I don't even want to read it. I'm like, send me a picture or a video of what you're looking for. So I think it's important that you have meetings that matter all the time, that you've got an org chart and a depth chart. The org chart tells you who's responsible. I think it's important to trust other people. I think you're going to find that you make mistakes when you do that. But the not doing it is no way to live your life. Confide in other people, but have checks and balances. There's a good book called The 5 a.m. Club. And my goal, I'm just moving into a new house, is I'm going to go to a sleep doctor and try to figure out how to be in bed by 9 and asleep by 10. Because right now, it's, it's pretty late. And I'd like to start my day at 5. I don't right now. I'm usually starting at 7, um, really getting started. But, but, you know, for me, we do have a lot of meetings Monday through Friday. I get a lot done on the weekends. I look at the weekend, like the time that no one else is working, to come in for a few hours and actually get stuff done. For me, it's awesome. Because I come in here, I goof off a little bit. I'll do a workout, whatever I want to do. Play a few games. Get a few hours of work done. And still have an amazing day. I love it because there's no one here. It's like, boom, I get a ton done. And I just get to kind of just stretch and relax and think and whiteboard. I'd say the one thing to tell you is have a whiteboard out. Always be thinking on how to improve the process. Read books on lean. It's a good book. I actually had him on the podcast, The Two-Second Lean by Paul Akers. But everything you do should be refining the process all the time. 
what data do you check religiously? I'm checking my CRM. And I'll tell you what I look at. I'm looking at it right now. I'll give you a little bit of what's in my head right now. I'm resetting. I'm looking at the uh, sales. Sales today is 216,000. We missed 80,000. I'll go into how that works. That's revenue. Sales are up 252,000. Average closed sales, $1,216. That means we closed it. That means assuming 100% conversion, that's with door sales. We're at 71% conversion rate or uh, call booking rate. This is going to get fixed because there's CSR level two and the managers that will go through and listen to the calls. It's probably more like 80 and conversion rate. I can't trust that number because there's something funky. We got to take it into service Titan. But conversion rate of service is 86%. I like it to be 90. So what I'll do is I'll scroll through and I'll see my top guys. I have an apprentice that did 8,000 today in service. He's brand new. You guys, I can't make this stuff up. We train people how to be good. And I guarantee you this, I'll probably get three five-star reviews from that guy today. Um, and then more near the bottom, you'll love this variance. I got a guy that did $88, $114. So then I'll right-click into here. I'll open it up and I'll look at some of these jobs. I also have a bunch of reports that hit me every morning. Every morning on my desk is a report of each department broken down. It's literally sitting right here. It tells me everything. CSRs, non-conversion guys. What I'm working on right now is building it. Instead of having all these Excel and stuff, I want these reports that are built into an awesome dashboard that I hit a button and it literally text messages to the guy. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, what's up with that job yesterday? Hey, dude, call me when you can't close a job. Hey, you know, I'm working with my managers too. We're working on a complete accountability system so that every time you call a guy, you talk about their family, their goals, congratulate them. Happy birthday, happy anniversary whatever it might be that it's recorded in a system and I could go in there and make sure what's going on. And there's notes. Let's see here. What's your favorite book? Oh boy. It's such a hard question. My favorite book. I mean, the E-Myth was really, really good. It changed my life. When I come up here, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnaby, uh, Napoleon Hill's great. You know, that's such a tough question because I love a lot of books. It's kind of like a movie. People say, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, well, I've already watched it. So I don't watch it and watch it and watch it. I think there's a lot of books that every owner needs to read. So guys, all I can tell you is I think sometimes you got to take a step back from your business. Everybody that's listening right now, you need to remember why you started. Remember the point. Remember what you love to do. And your job in the next few months after listening to this podcast is to get your ass out there and figure out a way to hire your weaknesses and go back to doing what you love. If you love meeting customers and sales, then freaking do that. Don't come in and be an accountant and start having really meetings that you hate. Hire the people that you need. Shoot, I know guys that have hired CEOs for their own company. Damn good CEOs. Think about why you started and think about what kind of life you wanted to give you. You know, Megan's on here and she just congratulated her and her husband, congratulations. They've been able to spend a lot of time traveling, doing what they love. And she said, guys, I just read this the other day. She said, uh, it takes a while and it's a lot of work. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of nightmares, but it's all worth it in the end when you hit a spot that your business is running and working for you and you can travel and enjoy the time with loved ones and to travel the country or maybe even the world. So you know, I think I've hit a point. I'll tell you what, there's peaks and valleys in a business. And as you grow an employee count, it changes. Now, there's a lot of businesses and a lot of people listening that are super content with their 20 or 30 employees. And that's great. And I encourage that. But always remember to build a company you can sell one day. There will be a time that you're going to want to sell and start thinking about it today and how to build enterprise value. Think about what you can do to build enterprise value value because i think it's so important i don't think i have much more i'll think real quick about some other stuff we're doing the reason i went to california is i'm working with a company called get the referral and i think it's going to be a game changer but let me master that before i get you guys on to it because i'm going to have them on the podcast
and he's going to give us a special rate. Yeah, you know, the owner's great. I, I went out to eat with him. His name's Jamie. Also, we're working with a new software that posts on social media. So we go on there, we pick a theme of the month, and we just, it's an auto poster. So we fill up the calendar with tons and tons and tons of content. We're always reaching out. We've got tools that reach out to people to add as friends and stuff. So our content is always in front of them from eight different directions. And I think when you read the book, they ask you answer by Marcus Sheridan. I got to tell you, I love the E-Myth. I love Ultimate Sales Machine. I love The Richest Man in Babylon. But that they ask you answer is, it's a special book to me because I love content. I love marketing. Anything marketing and sales, I love. What's your opinion on going into debt to start your business? Well, here's my first answer. And this will be the uh, last question I answer for you guys. Let me look at your credit card statement. Let me see what your credit card score is. If you got a 790 and you don't own any credit cards and you're financially stable, and I'd have to see a business plan, I'd like to know your marketing and sales concepts. I think the SBA loans and loans exist to leverage. I think now's a scary time though, because do not get an arm. An arm loan will go up. They're saying interest rates are going to go up. Today, the news just came out. That's why the stock market went down. So if you understand what loans do, the problem by not starting with money, there's good and bad, right, to everything. If you, if you don't have money, you're putting sweat equity and you're working nights and weekends. You're really putting a huge, huge dent into your family life. The problem when you borrow money is you don't have that realization that you've earned it and you blow it real quick. You make a couple of mistakes and that money's gone. And you, now you got some debt and you don't have a good business. So I'd really not love to see a structured plan. Let me see. Yeah, no, I read the uh, visual sale too, Megan. It's, it's amazing. The visual sale by Marcus Sheridan is really, really good too. He's got some good scripts in there of what you send to your customers. We're actually almost done with our buyer's guide. And it's like 40 pages and it's awesome. We're going to send it to every customer. But what's cool about the buyer's guide is you could tell when somebody clicks on it and where they spent most of their time, and you could have interwoven articles within the clicks. So, anyways, Johnny, I would say get a loan if you're very, very responsible. Don't use the money unless you have to. Grow guerrilla marketing style. Be very, very careful. Buy assets that you could sell. If you lease a building, make sure you have the opportunity to get a sublease because you might have an oh shit moment. And uh, I think you'll be good. The good thing is get a loan for as much money as possible, but only as you take it are you getting paid interest. Because it's hard to get a loan when you need it. It's easy to get a loan when you don't need it. You know, right now I've got lines for $5 million. I haven't touched. I got another one for a million. I got money if I need it. And then I've got plenty of money in the bank. So anyways, guys, I'll leave you with a few other things here. Let's see, you guys, I went over my favorite books. You guys know how to get a hold of me. If you guys ever wanted to tour the shop, I'm trying to set up Twice a month, we're all people come in. We'll go through the shop. We could ask a lot of questions. And I always say one good thing at the end to discuss. I would say now is a very unusual time. It's a weird space. I don't know what's going on. I look at a lot of stuff. I look at the stock market. I'm into crypto. I'm into real estate. I'm into the World Bank. I'm into different currencies to understand inflation. And right now, it's what's called a bull market. And I don't know if it could stay this way. Not with some of the decisions being made right now. We do need infrastructure. We need infrastructure. What I would say is put a lot of money away for a rainy day. Be prepared. Money in the bank. Don't act like this is going to last forever. It's great. I don't see an end very close. But grow your business at a steady rate. Don't try to explode. unless. You have an exact plan with your CFO and a controller, and you're trying to sell in the next 12 to 18 months. That's the only way I would say that I would be exploding right now. And I'd be really, really careful because anybody that's buying you is going to go, what's going on? So you better have a good story behind that. So anyways, guys, I really appreciate you. I love this podcast. I love the questions. I love the people we get on here. My goal, as always, is to deliver value, hopefully help you grow a business. When I get emails and text messages and Facebook messages, I mean, literally tears come to my eyes sometimes of I get to spend time with my son again. I haven't been to a baseball game in a year and I'm, I'm his coach. That kind of stuff 
changed the way I look at life. So if I could help you guys in any way, this is not a profitable thing. This is me trying to pay it forward, trying to let you guys not go through some of the mistakes that I've been through. Hopefully you guys uh, have killer home service business. You grow them. You make a lot of money. And we could go uh, either on your boat or maybe my boat one day. Mine will probably be the pontoon boat and you'll have a yacht. I would love to go on it. You invite me and uh, we'll have a beer. But uh, anyways, guys, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe out there. Stay hydrated if you're in the West Coast. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you very much. Hey, guys, I just wanted to thank you real quick for listening to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, it means a lot to me. And I hope you're getting as much as I am out of this podcast. Our goal is to enrich your lives and enrich your businesses and your internal customers, which is your staff. And if you get a chance, please, please, please subscribe. You're going to find out all the new podcasts. You're going to be able to ask me questions to ask the next guest coming on. And, and do me a quick favor. Leave a quick review. It really helps us out when you like the podcast and you leave a review. Make it four or five sentences. Tell us how we're doing. And I just wanted to mention real quick, we started a membership. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. You get a ton of inside look at what we're going to do to become a billion dollar company. And uh, we're just, we're, we're, we're telling everybody our secrets basically. And people say, why do you give your secrets away all the time? And I'm like, you know, the hardest part about giving away my secrets is actually trying to get people to do them. So we also create a lot of accountability within this program. So check it out. It's homeservicemillionaire.com forward slash club. It's cheap. It's a monthly payment. I'm not making any money on it, to be completely frank with you guys, but I think it will enrich your lives even further. So thank you once again for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it.